We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you uh, on our usual Sunday into into Monday spot, recording this on Sunday night after the Knicks have played uh, two games over the weekend and then a game before that that I have not spoken with Jeremy yet. Uh, So we're going to have a lot to talk about because this was quite the week. Uh, Jeremy Cohen, hello, sir. How are you doing? Hey, John, doing all right. You know, it's way too warm. As we were just discussing beforehand, but I disagree. Uh, but listen, perfect. It, it was great to wear shorts the last couple of days. I can't knock that. So it is what it is, right? <laughs> I have worn shorts every day, literally every day since the summer started. I have not had gone a day without wearing shorts outside. The coldest I think it got was in, I think one morning it was in the low 40s. But I saw it was going to get up over 50. I put on shorts that day because I am that sociopath who will wear shorts until it is like well beyond acceptable to wear shorts. I feel like there was always that one kid that I went to school with who, no matter what the temperature was, wore gym shorts. Like it happened in middle school, it happened in high school, happened in college where it'd be 20 degrees and they'd just be out there 
No, rock and shorts. Not, not that's not you. Yeah, but no, I, I always marveled at how they could do that. Just, I could never, never in a million years. And Andrew was talking about hoodie weather. I've, there's been many days where I've thrown on a hoodie with a pair of shorts. It's my favorite outfit of the entire year. Hoodie, basketball shorts. Doesn't get any better than that. You're so made for Florida when you're ready to retire. That's like the perfect Floridian attire. Oh, yeah, or San Diego. Sure. <laughs> Shout out. Uh, he, he knows who, who he yeah. is. Uh, so, yeah, it's been quite a week. Uh, it's been quite a week. This was a week that uh, we... we spoke last week that seems my goodness does that seem like a million years ago when we were just talking about two plain old losses right two two plain old losses to two better teams one not really all that heartbreaking or surprising or anything and then the Cavs game was kind of like okay that that stunk a little bit but you know you live to see another day 500 basketball team move on and then I mean I guess let's try to recap it in as succinctly as possible so the Knicks host Atlanta at MSG for the first 20 minutes of that basketball game. Uh, actually, 18 minutes of that basketball. Let's be precise. 18 minutes of that basketball game. They look like one of the best teams in basketball. Uh, they're doing everything right on both ends of the court. And then for the 30 minutes to follow, they look like just about the worst team in basketball. Um, and they get blown out after being up by more than 20. And then they go into Philly to a team missing Joel Embiid and uh, and James Harden. And they again look like one of the worst teams in basketball for the better part of 37, 38 minutes. And then some stuff happened in the fourth quarter that we will get to shortly. They pull out a win after um, it starts, you know, it's what's the Ghostbusters line? Dogs and cats living together, mass chaos. Yes, that's what happened in Philly on on Friday night. And then, yeah, uh, as we're recording this yesterday, against Boston, at home, in what was certainly a fun game. Um, I feel badly that the final the final score, fifteen point margin, like does not reflect that game. I mean, the Knicks were going down by around ten a few times here and there, but like that was a close game. It was a good game. It was a fun game. And yet, I don't know how you felt, Jeremy. And we're going to get into overreactions slash proper reactions in in a minute. But I, I am curious. Did you feel like they were ever going to win that game against Boston? Not really. You know, at first it was 15-5. I'm thinking it's, it's early, right? Like they, yeah. they can still come back from this. And then it was 66-65. Somehow, Nick's did a great job of catching yeah. up. And then Derek White hits the two to take the lead. And I'm just thinking like, there's something about this night that just doesn't quite feel like it's going New York's way. And now granted, we were last year on a live stream and the Knicks were down by what? 25 points. I believe that was what they were down. Yeah. And they came back and won, but this it's not that I didn't have any hope. It's more that I didn't feel like it was going to come into play this time. And the reason for that was just the, (laughs) the open threes. There's so many open, like you close your eyes right now. You could probably see another one happening. It just, there was something about the lack of switching up, coverage that I just felt they're going to keep shooting it and they're hot and uh, maybe they regress, but the opportunities they have are just too good. And um, unfortunately that continued and they won by 15. There was, this game was 119, 114. So it was a five point game 
with just over four minutes to go. Isaiah Hartenstein uh, got an offensive rebound on a Brunson driving layup and uh, made a dunk, gave a little fist pump. And he, like, I'm like, man, I was looking at the score. I'm like five points. We've no, I, I didn't think we had any business that being a five point game with, um, with four minutes left to go. And it was, and I mean, I asked the question partially because I think myself, I, as I was watching, I'm like, just Boston's going to hit another shot if they need to hit another shot. And they kept to, and every, it was literally every time they needed a basket, they got a basket. Um, Cause there was another breakdown. And um, Jeremy, you, you want to know what's, what's not a fun way to spend your Sunday morning into afternoon. What's that? Going back, going back and <laughs> rewatching every Boston three point attempt from that game. And going back and like rewinding it, making sure I knew where everybody on the floor was and like checking to see this and that and the other thing. It did not get any better on rewatch. Let me just tell you. Um, it was, it's so strange because that was the, it, well, it was a couple of things, but the big takeaway I think that most people had is like, that was the play of a team that was just confused. And if a team is out looking out there, looking confused in game nine, of a season after they've had four preseason games and after they've had a whole training camp to look that confused. Typically that's not a sign of great coaching and we're going to get into the coach in a minute. Um, But at the same time, I'm wondering how much credence we should be giving to the fact that it was the first game in which Mitchell Robinson was not available. Um, Obviously Mitch would not be the one defending those threes, but he is a backstop that provides a certain modicum of a, a, a safety net. Um, back there. So he wasn't there. And then uh, we also, for the first time or second time, I should say, uh, Evan Fournier not in the starting lineup. Now, that's a good thing because Evan Fournier is, as we're going to get into soon, is not good. But there were some different things going on from the norm. And I don't, that's not to give it a pass, but I'm, I, I am left curious after that game. Like, how are they going to look against Minnesota? How are they going to look against Brooklyn? How are they going to look on, you know, against Detroit? Like, it's 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 one game. It was a terrible game. I'm not. And ultimately, Boston made shots, which is like, I think what the, the big discourse was after the game. Like, how much how much credit did you just give Boston? So I'm kind of like. As ugly as it was, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about how how big a deal to make this. Well, they also were playing against the team that was two wins away from an NBA championship. Yeah. And I think that's certainly a big factor where like Jason Tatum is an incredible player. Uh, Jalen Brown is phenomenal. They found a way to create open opportunities and the Knicks defensive scheme helped them and they exploited that. That was kind of it. And they, you know, they played good defense. Don't get me wrong, but the Knicks were especially hot from deep as well. So that was great that the Knicks could stay in that game, of course, but only took 11 or sorry, only took 27 threes, though. I do want to point mm-hmm. that out, like almost ha- like a little bit more than half of the, the number of threes that Celtics took. Knicks obviously won this game or not won the game, but they stayed in the game by what they did in the paint. They scored 64 points on the paint, which is an unfathomable yep. number. Um, and, you know, credit to them for exploiting Boston's weakness on this night was the lack of a true center. Um, it was. A, yeah, it was just an interesting matchup. It really was. And again, I mean, here's the thing. I we predict the games every week and I'm not saying this is rubbing it. I'm saying it more as I have been right twice. And the week that we didn't get to go chalk would have been me picking 
one and one, which I would have done had we not had a crossover episode, which I loved and enjoyed doing with Locked On Knicks. So I'm I, I, only speaking for me, four and five kind of always felt like the obvious answer for where this team was going when you take it bit by bit. But it just it's so funny when you look at which teams they won against, which teams they lost against, how they lost the games they lost. And I guess you could say how they won those games, but it it just it, I keep going back to a team that's just that's just Mediocre. average. That's just, <laughs> well, it's average. That's the thing. Like yeah. before, I think it was before the Celtics or the Sixers game. I was looking at cleaning the glass, and the Knicks were offensively and defensively like fiftieth percentile here, here, or there. Like it might have been fifty first, and I think it dropped yeah. after that, uh, after the loss, to like forty third percentile offensively, and. It's just to be expected. It really is. And that's the frustrating part because it's easy to look at this team and be like, well, why try? All right. Like if it's not going to help the ceiling, if it's, if the floor isn't where we want it to be, what's really the point, but there are other points to it. I'm sure we'll get into it. If not today at a certain point, Yeah, but, no, we will. It, but it's, it's just that this is what's to be expected of a team that is very middle of the pack. They are not talented enough to be great and they are too good to be terrible, but that also depends on the other teams. If the other teams are getting better and the Knicks well, do not rise in the standings and instead fall, then it's a different conversation that we are having. I think Benji tweeted went well uh, a little while ago when he said the record of the teams the Knicks have lost to is 35 and 10. They've lost the top four seeds in the East and they've lost to the third seed in the West. And the teams they, that they have beat are the 11th, 13th, 14th, and 15th seeds in the East currently. Um what is going to be interesting is when they face some of these more middle, middle, mid tier teams. And I, and I look, that's a good transition to um, our little bit to start the show. Did Nick fans properly react or overreact, or I guess underreact? That could be an option, right, Andrew? Do they underreact? Although, when has a, a Nick fan ever underreacted at, at anything? You got to read the thing correctly. It's proper react or overreact. Proper react is one word, just like overreact. Yes, but what about underreact? There's no such thing. If you're underreacting, you're not watching the Knicks. I think, okay. I think you're making my point for me. Yes. Um, By the way, the Jets are six and three. That's going to be a theme throughout this episode anytime you go to me. Fantastic. Um, That's what made the Hawks game, I think, uh, particularly frustrating because I think a lot of people feel that the Hawks are in that middling group and had the Knicks actually won that game, you give them one le- one fewer win, all of a sudden the Hawks aren't whatever they are, fourth in the East. They're like eighth in the East because it's early and like every every win and loss like changes your, your placement. So that's the one thing with that. Um, let's go right there. So do you think the reaction to the hostile hot law loss to the Hawks on Wednesday? Say that again. Was um an overreaction or a proper reaction? And I guess I should say the reaction by many people was they just got to get fired. I'm going to say proper reaction. Okay. But here is, I think there's, there's a, there are a few different elements to it, right? Cause yes, that was certainly one school of thought with the tips part of it, but to be fair, it's not like we hadn't seen this horror movie before. Yep. It just keeps happening. And then the Knicks got better at point guard and it still happens. And I can't really wrap my head around why if it's not very much of a coaching factor um because again there were players on the team that built that lead up to what 20 
22, 23 points. It was 23 points. Yeah. And then it kind of disintegrated. So again, the players, the ones playing, but there were players there on the court. Um, I thought Brunson, you know, nicely done. And the, the second unit was doing a great job. And then it just kind of fell flat and they couldn't revive it. And DeJounte Murray was fantastic. But I will actually say one I'll switch over because I do think there's a proper reaction from the Tibbs standpoint where it's like, again, we have evidence of this from the year prior. This keeps happening. But I will say an overreaction is on the DeJounte Murray front, specifically of the I can't believe the Knicks didn't trade for DeJounte Murray. And it's not because DeJounte Murray is not talented. He certainly is. We even talked about on playback where uh, you asked me, you know, did I feel like the Hawks gave too much, too little, just the right amount. And I felt like DeJounte Murray isn't the type of star that I think is worth that package. But at the same time, I don't think the Hawks overpaid for him either. I think it was the right amount. And the way I felt after that game, and I tweeted about the next day, was, you know, it wasn't that the Knicks didn't trade for a star this offseason that's problematic. It's that the Knicks don't have a homegrown star. And there were two schools of thought that misunderstood what I was saying. The first school of thought is, why do you hate RJ Barrett? And that's not what the point was. The point was much more, look, you want a player who is a surefire, bona fide, we're not trading this guy, period. Mm-hmm. When the when the, uh, Grizzlies, when the Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert, they didn't trade any of their core pieces. When the Hawks traded for DeJounte Murray, they didn't trade their core pieces. And when the Cavs traded for... Donovan Mitchell, they didn't trade their core pieces, at least not the main ones no, like Mobley or Garland. That's fair. And, and so that, right. Or Allen. And then when you see the Knicks and they're offering RJ Barrett and two first round picks that are unprotected and Emmanuel quickly is in there too. And then there's the salary filler aspect of it. It's jarring because it's, well, these teams aren't giving up their best assets. And now it feels like we're paying way too much because of how RJ Barrett is viewed rightly or wrongly. And I I just think that's the important part. And the second part was the quote unquote homegrown. It's not, you know, I need this emotional appeal of the Knicks to draft a guy. No, it's draft a guy who's so good and on a cheap contract that you can afford to build around him and take the level of risks that a team like the Wolves could have taken with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, that the Hawks could have taken with Trey Young, that the Cavs could have taken again with Garland Mobley or Allen. The Knicks aren't at that point. And that's what kind of irks me where it's just, yeah, you want to get a star in the building, but you need to also cover yourself. And the Knicks aren't at that point where they can cover themselves with ease. So um, it hurt to see DeJounte Murray just pop off. He had a fantastic game, especially career, defensively. We, to, but, we should know that that was a career high. Yes, he was that's phenomenal. In, that's incredible. No, but I'm I'm supporting your point because... Yeah. What like DeJounte Murray, like dropping mid-range dimes and like this and that, or not mid-range, you know, drop basically hitting everything and, and doing that from three, like maybe this is the new DeJounte Murray and maybe we're going to see him exceed this career high five or six times this year. Um, I, it, this is, this is a different animal from, from Donovan Mitchell, as far as I'm concerned, I just want that noted for the record. Um, yeah. So good, good point there. Uh, I, I'm not losing any sleep over the fact that I didn't trade for Murray, although I think he's excellent. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about WinBet, the official sports book of Nick's Film School. 
Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, the WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet 100, win 100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. That's wynnbet.com to start winning. Download, bet, win. It's that simple. I think so here here's what I want to say, and this will kind of bleed into the win, you know, overreaction slash proper reactions to the win on Friday. I think where I come off very differently, it's funny for all that we've talked about, Tibbs, over the last year and change. I don't know if I've ever made this specific point. And it is this. I think there is an inherent um just an inherent negativity when you fire a coach in the NBA makes the organization look bad. Um, I don't think there's any way around it. I think it makes the organization look bad. I think, you know, there are times where it is just, it's time to move on. And we see those times where it is time to move on, where a guy has clearly gotten his shot, where he's clearly gotten his runway and it didn't work out. And I think there are other times where a guy maybe gets hired and it is very clear that it was the, it's not the right, not the right, not the right guy. And oftentimes those guys don't get hired again. Um, I think David Fisdale, you could argue probably falls into this camp, but when you have a coach who is not definitely a terrible coach, certainly not definitely a great coach. He's somewhere in between And like things are moving along and people are complaining about stuff. And then there's other people who are like, well, but, you know, he has this these roster issues and like all the things that I typically say on here, like that's a more neutral situation. And I think to fire a coach like that after eight games or no, I guess it would have been after seven games. Right. Because it was after we're talking about after the Hawks game. Not a great look for your organization. And it's a sign of instability. And if just for argument's sake, they would have fired him after that Hawks game, they would have been the laughing stock of the NBA. And every, you know, and and the Knicks fans will have their opinions about like, oh, of course, because we're always going to be the laughing stock of the NBA. So like, LOL next, they'll look for any reason to make fun of us. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, I just don't think it would have been a good look. Now, I'm the same person who tweeted out during the Philly game, entering the fourth quarter. If they don't come back and win this game, you could start the clock ticking on Tibbs's whatever you want to say, you know job standing with this team, because I think if they lost that game with the schedule, the rest of the schedule coming up and with the the stars that Philly had out, it would have been fair to start looking ahead to, well, if this thing is six and 15 or six and 16 or, you know, six and 18 or seven and 19 at that point. Okay. We've come far enough. The wheels have fallen off. Let's go in a different direction. The notion of firing a coach after seven games, though, I mean, 
I j- I'm sorry. I can't just, I can't get behind it in this circumstance. Not, not after one, albeit very bad game. Can't do it. So I think that was an overreaction. I didn't think Tibbs was going to get fired after the seventh game. I also didn't think he was going to get fired after the eighth or even the ninth, depending on even if it were losses. I don't see it the same way in terms of, yes, if you fire a coach, it's not a good look. 100%. But we also, you also don't have to stick with someone if you know that it's not going the right direction. Right? Like, for sure. This is not a one to one comparison, right? When Fizdale was fired, it was like, you have to get rid of him, right? You just, you got to do it. Tibbs is no Fizdale. Tibbs is a far better coach than Fizdale. But with that said, what you were describing, it actually kind of reminded me of what I've pointed out that bothers me with Tibbs' coaching philosophy, which is when there is a lead and then the other team catches up and then the other team takes the lead and then Tibbs calls timeout to try to regroup. Yep. Because you're saying like, oh, if it gets really, really bad, that's when you say, hey, let's huddle in. Let's change things up. Let's move things out the door and whatnot. And it's just like at that point, it feels like a lost season. And it doesn't have to be, right? I mean, we baseball is very different for basketball. But we just saw the Phillies make it to game six of the World Series and they fired Joe Girardi. And Rob Thompson did a great job of navigating them to the finals. Again, baseball and basketball, totally different sports, totally different in terms of how stars can get you to where yeah. you need to be. But it's the thought of, it almost feels like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And, you know, you um, you had the opportunity to go on the putback this week, and I thought you did a great job. One of the things that, of course, got clipped was when you were talking about uh, the, the ceiling yeah, the of ceiling. the players with Tibbs. Which, and the which way I was seeing it was... What's that? Which said drove people up a wall. Well, the way I saw it was it's like, yes, you could you could say that. But to me, if you remove Tibbs from the equation, you could find a way to argue that, and I don't think it'd be a pretty difficult argument to make, that putting the younger players in a better position to succeed, for whether it's Johnny Bryan or whomever is taking over, inherently raises these players values. And if that's the case and you're raising their values, you're making them more attractive in trade. And we know that the Knicks are likely going to target a star via the trade market. So if you're putting your talent in a better position to thrive, then to me, it says we are investing in our future. We are investing in our ceiling. It's just not, Hey, we're going to turn players who maybe don't project to be stars into these stars that are then, you know, and I think propel the Knicks down the line. And I think that's what the Tibbs conversation ultimately comes down to, because the people who are more in favor of getting Tibbs out of here sooner rather than later, I, I think the, 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 the Venn diagram is almost overlapping with the group of people who think that there is some really special, potentially special young talent on this team. And I don't agree with that. I think the young talent is fine. Just like many other teams in the league have perfectly fine young talent, um, but flawed young talent. And the cream rises. I've said this a few times now recently. The cream rises to the top. And it's like, you know, you look at at the guys on this team, the young players on this team, throw RJ Barrett in that conversation if you want to. They're what they are. They're nice players. You know, I think they have a chance to be to be good, really helpful rotation pieces for a long time. Barrett has a chance to be something better than that. Obi's the one question mark because, like, again, what would he look like in a certain system with a certain amount of minutes a night? I, I if you want to just get a coach to run these guys out there for 30 minutes a night and stick 
Evan Fournier. Well, Evan Fournier is going to be stuck on the bench regardless pretty soon, as we'll get to shortly. But like, I, I don't know. I, and it, but that gets back to like the organizational stuff. Like it's an organizational decision if you're going to like mothball some of these veterans. So I don't sure. know. Sure. On the tips front, before we go to the next game, I'm just curious. I, you also, I saw you mentioned on Twitter as you were roped into all these conversations and sorry, you had to, I was do deal with that. But uh, you talked about the, the systemic issues that are plaguing the franchise, right? The, the roster, not the franchise, the roster. Right. But, and in this context, you're saying, well, because the front office signed and acquired these players and Tibbs is the one dealing with them that, you know, like he can only do so much, right? That's what you were yeah. getting. So what I want to talk about was how many of the players and we can go through them, the players on the team, do you think Tibbs did not have a significant say and support them on? Because I, oh, yeah, for sure. I watched, Andrew's going to love this. I watched, rewatched draft day uh, last night. Uh, Vontae Mack, no matter what, right? Yes. And one of the things that really spoke to me was when Sonny Weaver Jr. Sonny Weaver Jr. talks mm-hmm. to Penn and says, you know, my job is to get the players that I think are going to best fit the team. And your job is to coach those players in that team. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of overlaps with the thought process of that doesn't seem to be the case in New York. It seems like there is far more synergy between Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau in terms of the players that are there, right? Like it's not Leon Rose saying, Hey, I'm just going to get you some centers and you're going to deal with it. It's okay. You like rim protectors at the five, you like 48 minutes rim protection. We're going to do what we can to support that. And I was going through the whole roster and I was trying to figure out who Tibbs really would not have signed off on. And there aren't a lot of players. It seems like his fingerprints are very much on this team from a lot of the intel. I mean, do we, we really need to? Do we really need to? We know we wanted Bullock back. We know we didn't want Kemba Walker. I'm I, talking about the players on this team right now. I'm right. Players I'm, on the team this, right this now. Season. I don't. I don't have any idea what we should think we know about whether Tibbs wanted to trade Julius Randle in the offseason. I. I don't. I don't get the sense that there's any love lost between the two of them. Right. I mean, granted. <clears throat> again, I, I know you're what you're saying about Kemba Walker. I'm trying not to then say ignore that and then go to Julius. I would be shocked if Julius, if Tibbs did not want Julius back, especially after that season. And I'm sure last season frustrated the hell out of Tibbs, which is why, you know, Tibbs would have preferred to have moved him. But also, judging by the amount of minutes that Tibbs was giving Julius versus giving Obi, I feel like but it's an indication. Last night. Right. Like, but but it, it took a Mitchell Robinson injury for us to see more of Obi Toppin. Yeah, as it usually does, where it's okay. I have to play Obi Toppin because of circumstances, and you know, like obviously Tibbs would have wanted Jalen Brunson here. He's close with Rick. He's known Jalen Brunson for a long time. Um, RJ, I'm not entirely sure to be honest, because I think he would certainly. I think he he loves the fact that RJ is here, and yet at the same time, it's interesting still to me that he's made comments in consecutive years about RJ spending time in the gym. Very interesting um, to me. I think he certainly wanted Mitchell Robinson back because I didn't think that the Knicks had a great opportunity to replace Mitch based on free agency. And they certainly could have gone with a center uh, rookie center in the draft, but they didn't want to. And the real head scratchers for me, right. Were number one was Cam Reddish. And I still think that last year it was more about Tibbs saying, I trust my veterans more than I trust Cam Reddish. Not that I don't trust Cam Reddish period. And then it's Evan Fournier. And I thought, you know, like, 
Tibbs, you know, he wanted Bullock back, but he definitely didn't want Fournier. But then looking back, Berman wrote in March that Tibbs was supportive of the Fournier signing. I think he was okay with it. Right. So, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at, you know, it's called 11 guys, right? Because I think the fringe players rotation wise of um, McBride, Sims, Archie yeah. Diacono, and Kulik are they're out of the picture of the 11 players on the roster. I don't know how many of them Tibbs really wouldn't have wanted but on the team. Jeremy, what like the fact that we're having a discussion about whether Tibbs was right or wrong in the players that he wanted on this team is indicative of a front office decision to get this guy's opinion, but that's not my be involved, but that's not my point. My point is, what, I don't I'm, then I'm missing the point. My point is if you're saying he's a victim of systemic failure, but he is in himself part of the system, it doesn't me, compute for me. Let me be much more clear. I think the systemic failure is on Julius. It's Julius. I think that's the systemic failure. I think Julius Randall is the systemic failure. And I think that is why I brought up, the Julius thing is, and the reason why I brought up the Kemba thing is because I think the singular systemic failure of last season's team was the acquisition of Kemba Walker. And that is absolutely something that Tom Thibodeau wanted no part of. So if you boil it down, if you boil all of it down to those two players and Fournier has been big minus two, but I think the Fournier thing has kind of gone sideways as other like players have emerged and as Fournier's confidence, quite frankly, is in the shitter because he looks like a guy who like doesn't even belong on a basketball court right now. Like he didn't look that way last year all no. the time. Um, you know, and we've seen him play a functional role on good teams. It's like, you know, what we're seeing now is like, that's a different animal. So yeah, I don't, but uh, that's I, what I don't get right. Like, yes. If you're saying that, Julius being here as a result of the front office re-signing him or extending him um, is a failure, then sure. But but then why is it that Julius still continues to see as many minutes at the four as he does? And why is it that it only took Mitch going down for Obi to then get that opportunity? And that, yeah. Whereas Evan Fournier sees his minutes plummet and... I just don't know why it can't be the same. And that's been my and that's been my biggest issue with Tibbs. Going back to last year, as you know, this I've yep. not been bashful about it. And the only answer that we jointly always go back to is the contract. It's a hundred million dollar extension that is just kicking in this year. And what are the realities and ramifications of that um, when you are trying to deal with what could potentially be, become if it is not already the biggest albatross in the NBA? Um, that That's what, what happens when you lose that guy? I've said this before many times. What happens when you lose that guy? What happens when you mentally lose that guy? And I don't know what the answer is. Um, because I, I watch, again, going back to Saturday night, I watched that game tape and I don't know who somehow managed to find himself in a whole lot of those confused switches yeah. and who managed to not get out on a whole lot of threes where he was the guy who was supposed to get out on them. And he either chose not to or he had his head somewhere other than in the play where he couldn't get out fast enough. Um, I'm, I, I think he's already, and, and if you look at how he's kind of, his offense has kind of fluctuated in terms of how he's been, you know, moderating himself, shall we say over the last several games after a nice start, I'm wondering if it's already heading South and uh, you know, clearly 
Tibbs has done a very poor job trying uh, figuring out how to continue to reach this player amidst a downturn in shooting overall play. The whole thing. It's been the biggest knock on his tenure, in my opinion, by far. Absolutely deserves all the criticism in the world that comes his way for the Randall thing. Everything has to do with Randall. Um, I just don't envy the spot that he's in. If that, to me, is the biggest issue, it's you got to not believe in the coach to fire him. And that's where I differ from most people. Is I, I don't think you could look at him at this point and be like, nah, he's shown us enough, not enough to believe in. But I'm in the minority. So what changes do you recommend, right? If, if your option is not just get rid of him, what is what is the way that you, if you are in this position, you have control over? It. What yeah. are you doing? This gets well. This gets us to the Philly game because I do think if he continued to make rotation defi- decisions in a certain way in terms of minutes and things, um, not regardless of the results because it's never regardless of the results, but like the rotation decisions going the way they were going, um. I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Send him on his way because you can't have a team where you're playing, you know, Cam Reddish, these piddly number of minutes and like so on and so forth. I think that we're seeing that starting to change. And that's why in that sense, I don't think the reaction to the win in Philly was an overreaction because of several of the things that we saw. And I think should give us some hope moving forward that we'll continue to see those things. I thought the win as well was a proper reaction, but it's just the struggle was it goes hand in hand with the Knicks are beating bad teams and they are losing to good teams and Philly without James Harden and Joel Embiid, they kind of feel like a middle of the pack, maybe slightly below bad. that bad. Yeah. Probably. It's, it's, the Knicks probably were too awful kind. for They're three quarters. Good. Yeah. Um, and the Knicks certainly took advantage of that. And I'm not going to, you know, bemoan the fact that the Sixers are playing without their two best players because the Knicks got the win. I think what was concerning was, yeah, the, the process in itself seemed better than we'd seen in other games. It just worried. It was like, oh, even without these two stars, the Knicks are still finding a way to maybe eke out a win. And then they did. And they won. That's the important part. They won the game. But it was just like, you're coming off of an off day. And mind you, you were also the, the previous game, you, <laughs> you were off of two off days and then you got your doors blown in at the end of the second quarter through the rest of the game. Where was that fire that Jeremy, you would have had? And it wasn't too there. kind. I know I am. I'm, I'm absolutely being too kind. You're being way too kind. That was a dog shit performance. I know. And that's why, I, and that's why I tweeted his job security needs to be in question if they don't come back and win this game. Andrew, you want to jump in? Yeah, can I jump in? First of all, the Jets are 6-3. and three. Second of all, the difference in the reaction to Wednesday's game and the reaction to Friday's game, as far as it pertains to Thibodeau, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jeremy. You and I, and we have been the, the driving force of pushback toward John, you more than, than me because you are on mic more as far as criticism of Tibbs. The bigger issues we had, and I hope I'm not speaking for you too much, but I think you'll agree, is that we knew every single rotation and lineup we were going to see on Wednesday. And we Mm -hmm. knew when people were going to come out. We had a feeling we knew when we were going to come back in. We set it on playback. I guarantee when he comes out of this timeout in the third quarter, the exact same five are on the floor. And it went exactly how we saw it. And Friday, 
the reason why it was a different reaction was I saw lineups. I never thought I'd see Tom Thibodeau try. Mm-hmm. He tried everything. So to your point, John, I actually would say regardless of the result, if Tyrese Maxey had hit a three to win 107, 106, I would have been crushed and been like, damn. But my reaction would have been like, all right, Tibbs actually did try literally everything. We saw Obi and Randall play together. We saw Derek Rose play like seven minutes. We saw very limited Fournier. We saw Cam Reddish play the last seven minutes of each half and no other minutes of the game. Like we saw him try multiple different combinations in this game, which I think is what all people have asked. Just, I don't need you to force feed us Evan Fournier or this five. And we're getting a different look at different combinations on this team. What you're getting at is with every coach, at some point you have to ask, can we win? Can we win with this guy slash? You see the reason we are not winning. I think Thibodeau has shown you enough in the NBA to say you can win with Thibodeau. I don't know if you could win with this roster at the level that they want to win, but then again, no one would win with this roster at the level that they want to win. We don't know more. I think the more interesting, what would you say? We don't know. Well, no that's, one, again, that's a difference of opinion, but 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 I understand. I hear you, but the way you're stating it is not opinionated. The way you're stating it is fact. And okay, I'm just fair. saying we that do, is we my don't opinion. Know. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Um, the other part is more interesting to me, which is is this coach part of the reason that we're losing? And I think to your point, Andrew, about the always knowing the substitutions or not lack of substitutions during these during these timeouts. That was a reason why they were losing. And Mm -hmm. we saw it time and time and time and time again last year and what they would go to in the fourth quarter and it would never work. And the the lack of experimentation, because he was so stubbornly of the belief that like, no, eventually it's going to work. Eventually it's going to work. Well, guess what, Tom? It never worked. That's why you could say last season was arguably the worst season of his coaching career, putting aside the whole Jimmy Butler fiasco Um, on board with all that. I think he deserved a shot this year to redeem himself. I did not think that that shot was going well over the first eight games, seven games. And I think, but even so, I think you deserve more than seven. And I, that's, that's where I'm landing. And I think game eight was a step in the right direction. Game nine against Boston was I think another step in the right direction, guys. I don't know if, if you felt this way, Jeremy, but you could, as, you could argue self, both ways. If Well, the switching is a problem, but you got guys not that have not played together. Yeah, like, but guys should play together. It's, but th- I, there were guys who had played together, who had have been at the very least on the roster and playing in the same unit together since the beginning of training camp. The at quick, the very least, the quickly Brunson switching, like what, what you and Benji and all the and Piccolo and all the different people putting up how poorly they were on switches on these threes. Like, yes, that was an issue. I I really am intrigued. And like we we more said our piece last night, Jeremy. So I more want to get your thoughts. But I left that game with the optimism of, wow. So if this is the Cam Reddish that we now get, and this is just going to lead to Evan Fournier is now Austin Rivers and his role slowly disappears on this team. There actually could be a, a decent team that, you, you see the, the defensive rating get better and better and better, which is honestly Tibbs' calling card. As long as the team doesn't set their franchise record in threes on the night, this might actually be a watchable next several weeks of basketball, you know? Yeah, listen, I want to give credit to Tibbs for the lineup combinations he had in the Sixers game. I do. It's just tough for me, not because of giving credit, but because of the fact that it feels like he had to dig down deep because Mitch got hurt. Oh, yeah, I agree. 
And that I think is what's it was nice to see him do a better job on the fly because we've seen especially in-game adjustments have been poor. It's more that it's like I I'm not going to go with Jericho Sims in this. The Sixers are also playing smaller, so I'm going to also go play smaller. That sort of mindset. And I'm glad it worked out. And then we saw the Celtics game as well. And they also had to go smaller because they were missing Robert Williams due to injury. They -hmm. were missing Al Horford due to injury. Um, Danilo Gallinari is out for the season. They don't have the requisite size that they need. And it didn't, you know, the Obi and Randall combination didn't work quite as well as it did the night prior. And a big part of that was because Obi's offensive firepower was so good in the Philly game. And then in the Boston game, it, he really didn't score until what the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, where he had two all nice moves and a three. Yeah. Right. And John, you mentioned about how the paint, I mean, it was so porous defensively for the Celtics and on those two shots that Obi had at the rim, he, he just cut through the defense it was like a knife going through warm butter. So it's, Warm knife going through butter. Yeah. If the butter's warm and right, that doesn't, it goes everywhere. It spills out, but kind of like how I felt after the Celtics hit 27 threes. And that to me was a little problematic, obviously, you know, like we could say that's, well, that's just Tibbs' scheme. And that's true. It is his scheme, but I also don't know if it is necessarily the best one. I think that's, that's more of like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, where if you feel like, Hey, I want the Knicks to do everything they can to lock down the paint. And if they give up threes, then at least we made them try fine. Or if it's look, this is a game where threes rain. And that's why these leads get chipped away. And the fact is that the Knicks do live up. They do let up all these threes. And we've seen all these games, which the Knicks have seen opponents come clawing their way back from giant deficits because they've gotten plenty of opportunities from three and they've connected on them. Then I think it's the other way, I, you know, like it surprised me because last year it, it began. It's, it's a make or miss league. We talk about this all the time entering today. The Knicks were 29th in frequency for three pointers allowed, obviously very bad. And they were 14th in accuracy of those three pointers made last year. They were 28th in terms of the frequency for threes, but they were fourth in terms of accuracy. So again, it, opponents accuracy, opponents, opponents, correct. Yeah. Yes. But what is interesting as well is we do talk about the Knicks in terms of their offense. And it surprises me that the Knicks are essentially a bottom five team in terms of their three point frequency on offense when they have added what I don't know if I would say they've added more spacing, but they certainly haven't added less. It feels like, you know, Brunson isn't going to be your huge three point range shooter um, and Hartenstein's not going to be this lights out shooter either, especially when you're swapping out Kemba and Noel, they're, they're trade-offs for all these different things, but at least Kemba was shooting. He's, he's seen better shooter from three, from, from three, but it didn't feel like the switch off was that significant. And I know the Knicks were missing, have missing grimes for the most part, but it's surprising that the offense is not taking a step forward with a better point guard and there are fewer threes being shot. Well, um, the Knicks are driving a ton. Last thing I'll say, uh, driving a ton, which is fantastic. They're second in the NBA in drives, but they're just not passing out of drives. I think of the, of the top 15 teams in drives per game, the Knicks are eighth in terms of pass percentage. So creating more of the drive and kick opportunities and finding the open man. That's the one thing the Celtics did. That was so flawless. They kept finding the open man and Yes, schematically, it was because there were a lot of open men due to the fact that the Knicks were not guarding against the three-point line. But it always seemed like 
the team that went to the NBA finals that has a superstar in Jason Tatum and an incredible star in Jalen Brown and some really good talent. They have the synergy, but they also just simply know when to find the right shot. And I just offensively don't think the Knicks have that in them. And um, I think that's that lays across the board in terms of why it is problematic. I, Andrew, you want to say anything? I've, I've a little pushback on that. Well, so it's a pushback. I, them driving and not kicking is a, is a, player execution issue more than it is a coaching issue for me as far as that's concerned i, I don't know if it entirely how, is though but because how, how many is, times have we yelled rj obi's wide open on his drives like it's not a, just him but uh, right. it's a rj and players. brunson but they both need to do a better job of course 100 right. i so, uh, go ahead john also the uh, jets are six and three go ahead um for how many years did we make fun of the knicks for being the only team in the league that didn't get the memo about hey 18 footers are bad um there are three teams in basketball that shoot a lower percentage of long twos now than the Knicks. Three. Uh, they are eighth in percentage of shots at the rim, fourth in percentage of shots from the uh, short mid-range. And shout out to Fred Katz, wrote a great article a few weeks ago on how the Knicks have gone out of their way to get guys who can make that specific shot. They're fourth in that percentage. And they're not taking a ton of threes, but they are 14th in the percentage of uh, their shot profile that is corner threes. The issue with the Knicks this year is that they've not been able to make threes. Um, They are 25th or 26th or whatever it is in the league in three-point percentage, which... Um, a big issue uh, going into last night uh, was Julius Randle and to a certain extent, RJ Barrett. Um, if two of your, if your two highest usage guys combine through eight or nine games, whatever it is to shoot, you know, 20 or 23 or 25% from deep, that's a massive problem, which again, it always, it always comes back to Randall. Um, So I would give them a bit of a pass on the offense. And the other thing, and again, it all comes together because the one thing you didn't mention about Philly on, on Friday night took the man until six and a half minutes left in the game, six and a half minutes left in the game, put Cam Reddish back in when it was obvious to anybody who was watching Cam Reddish needs to be in that game earlier and do what he was doing in the first half, which was very positive stuff. One thing I guess what the Knicks are out. Oh, you probably know. Cause you probably looked this up. Knicks net rating this year in the minutes that Cam Reddish has played. Actually, I haven't looked this one up. Take a guess at what their net rating is. When it's, he has not I think played. it's eight, but like, you know, it's... When Cam has not played? Um, when, when Cam has played. When Cam when has, when he has played. Court. Net rating plus, plus three? Plus 6.5. Okay. The Knicks are scoring at a rate of 117.7 points per 100 possessions, giving up 111.2. Considering the team as a whole is negative 1.8, with a 111 offense and a 112.8 defense. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, also, you know, this is a guy that we thought wouldn't get any minutes in the rotation. And whether it's because of pushing from the front office or Tibbs just being like, hey, I'm going to give the kid a shot. He's played 181 minutes. I'm giving him all the shit in the world for not getting him in there until six and a half minute mark of the game on Friday night. It was egregious. They almost lost the game because of it. Um, but he has given him a chance and Cam has thrived. The flip side of that coin is the reason why it took Cam so long to get into the game. Is someone else was in the game instead of Cam Reddish. That player was Evan Fournier. Can we talk about Evan Fournier for a second, Jeremy Cohen? Yes, I just want to add one thing. I know I'm being critical sure. of Tibbs, but I do. I'm for all, I'm being critical of the offense, the players on the court as well. But it, the Knicks were seventh in frequency in threes attempted last year. 
Yeah. And they're this year, 26th. They're 23rd. Because they're um, taking a ton of 23rd. Close right. in close range because they have Jalen Brunson now. I understand. But you'd also think if they were pushing the pace more, which it seems that they are, whether or not then able to have more possessions and more three. But but yes, let's uh let's talk about Evan Fournier. So because, <laughs> yeah, make that noise again. So with Evan Fournier off the court, this gets even better. Um with Evan Fournier off the court this season, the Knicks are Hold on. I have it right here. Yes. The Knicks are outscoring teams by 8.7 points per hundred possessions. Their defensive rating without Evan Fournier is 105.3. That would be a top three number, I believe, uh, with a pretty good offensive rating of 114.0. When Evan is on the court, that's a big old minus 13.0 in 196 minutes. 105.3 offense. 118.4 points per 100 possessions given up on the defensive end. My God, what an atrocity against humanity this player has been through the 196 minutes he has played. Um, so our final overreaction, underreaction, do you think the reactions to Cam on the positive side and Evan on the negative side have been overreactions or proper reactions? I'm going to say for Cam, proper reactions. And then I'm going to say for Fournier, uh, Andrew, I'm going under. I'm going to go under. Oh, wow. I'm going under reaction. <laughs> John can't tell me those stats. And then I not go under reaction. He, let's start with Fournier. As you were saying, this is not the player who was there last year. This is someone who just looks like a shell of himself. Someone who was involved in trade talks an entire season long. And fans tell him, tell other players that they wanted, like they like talking to Quentin Grimes or like get Evan Fournier hurt on Twitter. Like Jeez. this man's morale, it seems from the outside looking in, does not feel right. And I don't, I don't blame him. But at the same time, it it is a business. This stuff does happen. And it's funny because the bulk of the conversation going into the off season when it came to like, excuse me, it, at the start of this season there were lingering thoughts of how is it going to affect RJ Barrett knowing that he was in trade talks? How's it going to affect him? And you quickly, it'll be top and all these guys. Yep. Uh, we never once said, well, you know, how is it going to affect Evan Fournier who by this point is a 10, 11 year pro. And um, he talked about it in the, he's the only one who addressed it dead on in the preseason. He, he was like, Oh, I'm used to, you know, I've been in the league for how many years it happens. It's part of the business. Right. And yet, it's not working. Something's not clicking here. So, I mean, with Cam, again, it's like, it's really nice to see him develop into this player because the great thing about Cam is that he's not the 10th overall pick. He is essentially the pick that the Knicks used to acquire him, which was far worse than like, if we're talking about the Hornets pick, it's likely going to be two seconds, two second round picks. If we're talking about the pick that it was traded for, it was what the, the 19th pick in the 2021 the draft the uh, 19th, where they yeah. took Kai Jones. And like if you can get a rotation piece at 19, then you're, you're doing something right. And if you can get a rotation piece for the cost of two second round picks, then you're really doing something right. I think the nice thing about cam is he can just be himself and we don't necessarily have to have conversations about like, is he going to be salary filler in a trade or like, cause I know that's something that you and I have talked about and we both yeah. are on the same page about. Yeah. So it's great to think that like, yeah, this ideal player who helps 
lift the defense up and can hopefully do something more with his shot. So he feels like less of a, um, less of a bench piece and more of a starting material who just happens to come off the bench. If that is how the Knicks decide to play it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Then that's great. But yeah, the shift back to Evan, it's just like, it's, it's almost funny in that the situation that the Knicks are dealing with reminds me of what the wizards were dealing with last year, which was you have two players on your team making a good chunk of money, Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Mm -hmm. And you have Dinwiddie who is just inefficient as hell. He's not able to mesh with Bradley Beal. It doesn't look pretty. He signed there for what seemed like a good reason. They needed size at the one and they needed a point guard, but it just, it didn't work out. And you got Bertans who basically then gets stapled to the bench because he can't do anything. And you package the two of them together for Kristaps Porzingis. And listen, am I suggesting Evan Fournier and Julius Randle for like Gordon Hayward? Not necessarily. Do I think that there's an iteration of a three-team deal where you could work something out there? Yeah, you know, maybe, although a lot of that depends on Miles Bridges. And that also depends on the NDA suspending him. And it also, also depends on how the Hornets are going to handle his situation. Um, but it's kind of just that trade opened up time for Denny Avdia and for Rui Hachimura. And it's just been something I've been thinking about. That's good for that organization. It's for where they are. They need to see what they have in those players before they are eligible for extensions, which mm -hmm. good transition to uh, Obi and Emmanuel quickly are both extension eligible. Um, and look, I don't think Evan Fournier is going to play any minutes on this team when Quentin Grimes is back healthy. Um, so I think they'll, if there's a trade out there where they could use a salary, there's a trade out there that they could use a salary. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I think it's underreacting to just how bad he's been as for cam d definite proper reaction. And I'm tempted to even go under reaction there. I, I think they really I think they might have something here. And I got a little bit over, overly excited after the Memphis game. I did and came back down to earth, which, okay, it's fine. I want to see more watching this guy on defense for as much as Julius stood out for all the wrong reasons on defense in the Boston game. And again, it wasn't all Julius. Nobody played well on defense. Everybody made mistakes. RJ made some egregious mistakes late. I want to be very clear about that. Um, Brunson, who we all love, made some mistakes. Um, Julius just made by far the most. Cam played really well on defense. A uh, couple of miscommunications. Not sure if he was the one who was out of place or if the person he was uh, on the other end of the switch was out of place. But man, does he make an impact on that end of the floor? I have confidence in him as an ancillary offensive piece. Um, and yeah, he needs to play and I'm excited to see what he could do. Um, but I think let's, well, before we give out our game balls, I will just go back to this. They might trade Evan Fournier. You know, they're not trading Julius Randle. Not right now. Or not yeah. anytime soon. I, I would be surprised. And Truth be told. where and whatever whatever conversations we have, I I just have a funny feeling about Thibodeau moving forward. I feel like we, we're going to continue to be able to relate those conversations back to Julius Randle because they have everything to do with Obi Toppin and Obi Toppin's minutes and whether or not there should be more accountability for Julius Randle. And whether they those two should play together and how feasible that is and how is Julius defending and is Julius shooting and all of these things, they're so intertwined with the success of the team and all of the other things that people care about um, and Tibbs' job. 
so God, what a depressing way to end this part of the conversation as Julius goes. So go, so go the Knicks. But I think that's you, Andrew, you're disagreeing. I maybe I'm just, again, hashtag 45 wins. That, listen, Jeremy's right. Only circumstance created the lineups that we finally saw him try on Friday. But I we we saw this team take a leap in 2020-21, the we here season. Yeah. And they finally stopped playing Austin Rivers because there was clearly like a limitation he had on defense. And unless they were playing the jazz, a limitation he had on offense. Yeah. I think now that Grimes is back, and like you said, the thing they just discovered in Cam Reddish over the last, honestly, this season, good on him for turning himself into this kind of player. This changes things, at least as far as what I want to see. I'm actually curious to see, does Reddish become the starting two? Do they play him, mix and match him in other lineups as a two, three, or a four? Do they go with multiple wings going forward? Um, I I don't know if it's necessarily, like you are right, if Julius, as Julius goes, so do the Knicks. I do think there are there are other looks that this team can give teams now because you have a player like this that could potentially add more value I, to to also the Jets are six and three. I'll say this: I was I for as much as I didn't, he did not play a perfect offensive game, and I don't care about missed shots. I never care about missed shots with Julius. It's about the decision making and the process. He was atrocious uh, for the first half in and the first first three quarters in Philly. And but much better, much, much better against Boston. I'll take that on offense. And the Knicks will be very good on uh, there will be a good team if Julius Randle plays the game that he played on Saturday night. And that is even with the defense because they're not playing that team most of the time. And I think they'll figure out some other some other things. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's give out some game balls and, and detention real quick before we do predictions. Uh, Jeremy, who's your game ball go to? Read the candidates. Cam Reddish, Tom Thibodeau. What are you? You're being funny, Andrew. <laughs> uh, Obi Toppin, Jalen Brunson, Dusty Baker, Edwin Diaz. It's a lot of money, my God. And the goddamn New York Jets, baby. Who are six and three? Who are six and three? I would give it to Dusty Baker, who's the only person. Well, him and Trey Mancini are the only two people I was happy to see mm-hmm. winning a ring. But um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all right. I'm gonna start with an honorary shout out to one R.J. Barrett. Okay. okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take two names from you. No, 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 I knew no. you were. Gonna, no, no, I, John, I knew you were gonna take R.J. But in the sense of like his first five games 
he had an effective field goal percentage of 40%. Mm-hmm. And then the last over the last four, he's had an effective field goal percentage of 61%. So three of those four were played this past week. Uh, he's been doing a really nice job outside of the turnovers in the Boston game. Thought he was fantastic. Feels like something's starting to hopefully click. Uh, but I'm going to go with Obi because there's no stopping Obi Toppin. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's just that Philly game was fantastic. And I know again, he wasn't great in the, uh, in the third game. He wasn't great with the Celtics game until the fourth quarter where he started to really uh, percolate, but it's just, it's nice to see a top 10 pick perform on this team, not just perform, but given the opportunity to do so. And um, I'm just happy about it, but Jalen Brunson had a great week. So uh, I'm just going to go rogue this time and go Obi. Um, yes, RJ uh, over 50% or at least 50% from the field uh, with at least 15 field goal attempts in consecutive games for the first time in over a year. So nice job by him. Uh, I already shouted out Cam Reddish, so I'm going to give it to Jalen Brunson uh, for the simple reason that I think if Jalen Brunson was not on this basketball team, they would be one and eight. So. Good job coming to New York, Jalen Brunson. Uh, detention. Andrew, you want to? How should we do this one? Listen, we all know what happened in Brooklyn this week. Um, I wasn't there because I was off last Sunday. Um, shout out, associate uh, AGM JP. Yes, AGM, as in associate producer John Macri. Um, shout out to Justin. Uh, but I co-sign everything that was said at the end of the pod last week from John and Jeremy regarding the words that were were promoted by a uh, one former, well, suspended point guard of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I just think it's appropriate if we'd like to um, in support of Jeremy and of Benji and of Jessica and hey, my mom, uh, if we just put Kyrie in detention and that's our group detention this week or pick one Fournier quickly. No, I... <laughs> Every here's 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 what I want to say. I will root for Evan Fournier. I root for twelve Evan Fourniers on my basketball team any day of the week, happily, before I ever have to root for Kyrie Irving. And um people like that should not have a platform. And I'm happy the Nets did something. And I guess the ball's in his court now. Um but his platform is detrimental to the safety and sanctity of like everything. Um, so hopefully he doesn't have it anymore. And I think uh, there's a chance maybe he won't, um, which would be great. Um, and that is, that is why he's in detention. Jeremy. Yeah. I co-sign it. Um, obviously I think also just from what I've seen, a lot of the, Oh, well, what about X, Y, Z? Like, yeah, all of that is problematic. Bad too. Yeah. Agreed. Amazon shouldn't have it on the platform. That's true. We also should look at what's going on with Kyrie Irving. You could say he didn't promote it. You can look at the Google analytics that indicate he made people aware of it that did not know it. We can look at the fact that it was number one on Amazon or the top list for Amazon for book and movie. And uh, we can say, yeah, that probably wouldn't happen without Kyrie publicizing it. So, um, yeah, I I didn't care about the apology. Because if he wanted to apologize, he would have apologized. So uh, we, we know we know why he we know why. Sure. Yeah. But 
in the meantime, I cannot in good conscience give Emmanuel quickly detention because while he the scoring was not there, I thought he was an absolute beast, especially in the boards against the Hawks. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's hard for me to do that. So this is going to be a little unfair because he's just working his way back, but I'm going to give it to uh, Quentin Grimes. Again, ah, no. it's not deserving. It's not deserving, but Jeremy. I'm going to say a name. Group show. We're all putting Kyrie. We're in all detention. putting Kyrie in. All right, I thought you yeah. just said Evan Fournier. Okay, I'll tell you no, what. I'd I'm rather watch. You, you I would rather watch. Nick, go ahead, but I'm saying as a show. As a show, Kyrie. yes, I would rather watch Quentin Grimes miss every shot he takes for the next 25 games than have to deal with one Kyrie Irving for one game. Guys, in the vein of what John said, guys. First of all, the Jets are six and three, and I would rather watch Evan Fournier guard the Boston Celtics, setting record, setting threes, all five of them, <laughs> like five Evan Fourniers, than the scenario we're painting. This is, I've always pushed back when we like went too hard at Kyrie because I was like, you know what, it's a hot button issue. He does have some good. No, this is this is dangerous. What this last two weeks were, and I'm. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm, I hope he never plays another game of basketball for a sport that I really enjoy and really love again. Okay. There. That's the note that this segment should end on. Also the Jets are six and three on that note. Uh, okay. Moving on to predictions sponsored by our very good friends at WinBet. Download the WinBet app or visit www.winbet.com. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T.com to start winning. If you sign up today, you receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100, download, bet, win. Uh, Jeremy, I mean, I hope you've been taking your predictions (laughs) to the bank and betting some money lines because you just keep on rolling. You are two and oh, I am Owen two. You keep nailing these weeks. Uh, this I think will be, this will be a week we look back on in predictions because there's a chance for, th- this is a very unpredictable week, I think. And I'm, I'm very curious to see which way you go. And as we as we've seen predictions over the last couple of years, the key is to, get it back where you're picking first. And I think you're in a tough spot here. You don't want to give me that opportunity, Jeremy. You don't want to give it to me. I don't. I think you know which direction I'm going to go in for this one. I think I know which direction you're going to go to, but yeah. Which direction I'm going to go to? Yes. Two and two. That was, yeah. Now, listen, I certainly hope that uh, one of those wins comes on November 13th against the Oklahoma city thunder. But um yeah, I think two and two feels like a safe hedge. So that's where I'm going. I think one and three is in play. I think one and three is in play. That said, if I had the pick, I'm not sure I would have gotten two and two. It's fair. I, I, I think maybe this is Tibbs' last stand. I don't know. I think they're going to go three and one. I say it with I say it with my whole chest. <laughs> Three and one, baby. Here we come. All right. Yeah. I just I thought the Ewing theory with Gobert, uh, perhaps the KD wanting to take back whatever claim he has over New York, uh, as small as it may be, and the Thunder. Thunder plane. We saw the 
Thunder play well, and we saw what happened at the Garden last year. I, so, but they're playing. They're, I mean, Thunder playing very well um, mm-hmm. right now. So that's that's a tough one. All right, uh, that's it. I think uh, Andrew. Anything else from you? Just quick announcement from Producers Corner. Um, so, for those that remember our event last year at MSG, where we had a KFS at MSG night, it was a Wednesday against the Magic. Um, we intended to do that this year and open it to the public. Uh, we, as promised last year, we opened it to our patrons first, and then we would open it to the public. And when we opened it to our event this year to the patrons first, it sold out almost immediately. And we appreciate our patrons. If you'd like to get on board, you get a ton of extra content that we're providing watch parties, a discord channel, an extra podcast every week. Um, you, you, we do town halls once a month, which are outstanding. Shout out Frank from Patreon, who has started the Kevin Durant to Brooklyn conspiracy. Kevin Durant to the Knicks conspiracy theory. I'm not even going to try and break your brain with that, Jeremy. Um, so our next KFS at MSG game event is this Sunday, as Jeremy mentioned, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. We will be there with 45 of our, our patrons or a bunch of our patrons. I'm not sure exact number. Um, but afterwards, because we do want to hang out with you, um, the Jets, who are six and three, are on a bye. But there are other football teams playing. So we'll be headed to Penn Six, Pennsylvania Six, which is uh, a local bar near Madison Square Garden. It is on. Guys, help me with the address. I think it is 31st between 7th, 6th and 7th. Yes, we'll be heading over there as a group. You can look up the address. We'll also be doing some some public uh, publicity toward the event this week and promotion uh, to kind of push people there. As soon as the next game is over, we'll be heading there to just hang out after the game is done and just watching football, talking about the game, talking about the Knicks, talking about the NBA. Um, so come hang out with us this Sunday at Penn six after the Knicks game, hopefully after a Knicks W and a successful week also. And, and, and last a three in one week, hopefully, hopefully a three in one. Listen, hopefully a four and hopefully a four and a week. Um, Wouldn't that be something? What's better than the four and a week is a six and three season. So the last thing from me, J E T S jets, 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 shout out to New York. One of New York's football team that defeated almost Canada today, 20 to 17. This reminds me of how happy you were about the, the local baseball team. What? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Andrew. Um, this was fun. I hope we have. Uh, hope we have a. I hope. I hope they can get on a roll here. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I hope they can because it would be fun to just be fun to talk about some good basketball. They have some good players, and they could do it. Um, but we'll see if things come together. All right. Until uh, our next episode, which will be a post game drop in uh, pregame and post game uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves game. And then our usual run of shows the rest of the week. Hope to see everybody next Sunday. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.